1: Alright, I think I see some new faces. For those that are, don't know me, my name is Stanley, um, uh, my wife and I, Lindsay, Lindsay's somewhere here with my three-year-old who's complaining of a earache, so I think she's trying to fix that situation, and then my son is probably on his way out for kids' class. But. Um, I just wanted to welcome you um, if you're new here. Uh, We've been actually walking through the book of Colossians um, in a series called Jesus is Enough. And uh, we're actually in chapter two, verses eight through 15 this morning. Um, uh, So we'll read that passage and kind of uh, spend some time unpacking it uh, this morning. Let me just say a quick word of prayer again before we jump in. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather together um, and celebrate you, worship you. And as we are reminded of what Paul has to say in this passage about not being taken captive. Pray that uh, uh, that your word will go forth and it will accomplish what you send it out for. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let's uh, let's begin by reading um, uh, Colossians chapter two, verses eight through 15. Uh, Please follow along in your Bibles. Uh, In Colossians chapter two, verses eight, uh, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and, according, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been fulfilled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Um, there was a, growing up, there was this popular fairy tale that I grew up hearing. I didn't grow up in America, but I think this is familiar with, uh, to a lot of you, but I'm curious. It was called Pied Piper of Hamelin. Have you all heard of this story? Sure. Okay. Can I see a raise of hands? How many? Okay. It looks like a lot of the. The younger people are like, what is that? Okay, well, I'm gonna tell you the story. It's a little bit traumatizing, but let me just, uh, <laughs> this, is what, this is what they gave us, okay? So uh, it's just a story, the gist of the story is uh, in uh, 1284, the town of Hamlin in Germany was suffering a rat infestation. So lots of rats, and so a piper dressed in multicolored clothing appeared one day, claiming to be a rat catcher with his magic pipe. The one that plays music, okay? Just clarifying, he, he claimed that when, <laughs> He claimed that when he played his pipe, he would be able to lure the rats away. Uh, The mayor of the town in turn promised to pay him handsomely for the removal of the rats, and so the piper accepted and played his pipe to lure the rats into the river where all the rats drowned. Well, despite the piper's success, uh, the mayor went back on his promise and refused to pay the full amount that he had promised the piper. So the piper was enraged and promised to return. And story goes, the pipe piper returned one day, he uh, returned one day um, when the adults were in church. They, he used his uh, instrument's magical power and lured the children away from the town, uh, leading them away into a cave where the parents couldn't find them. The, the end. That's the, stuff. That's the story. Okay, so only slightly traumatizing, but um, so uh, the phrase "pied piper" has actually come to become a metaphor uh, for for, I guess, older people now, but for a person who attracts, uh, attracts a following through charisma or false promises, okay? It's somebody who's uh, out to deceive you or somebody who's trying to trick you by appearing charismatic. And so Paul, in this passage, is essentially trying to warn the church of Colossae about the Pied Pipers that are looking to take them captive through man-made spirituality, man-made philosophies, and lead them away to deception, And so earlier in this passage, we looked at, um, uh, actually in verse 5, Paul uh, actually is happy with the way the believers are walking in their faith. So in verse 5, he says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And so here, Paul is commending and rejoicing over the way that the Colossians have been walking in their faith. Nonetheless, as he goes down in the chapter in verse 8, he is concerned or expresses this concern about the false teaching that is threatening the church and the believers. So Paul begins in verse 8 by giving this warning. Um, He says, Don't be taken captive. And then in verses 9 through 15, he goes on to expound or give us two reasons, really, for why he gives us this warning. And so that's what we're going to unpack today. So let's just read verse 8 again today before we jump in. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul again begins this uh, section by issuing a command, okay? and the command is, don't be taken captive. Uh, the word here, captive, uh, actually, if you, look, if you have other English translations, can be replaced with don't be kidnapped. But metaphorically, it can even mean just don't be seduced, don't be deceived, uh, don't be cheated, don't be defrauded. Essentially, it captures all of those meaning. Uh, so Paul here is warning the church to not be seduced or defrauded by competing worldviews that are looking to distract the believers at Colossae away from Jesus was threatening to seduce them away from the beauty that lived only in Christ. And so, I mean, even, even just that, just reading that warning, I think it's probably all of us can appreciate the fact that this word that Paul has for us, uh, for the Colossian church, is apt for us too, right? And I have to tell you, with all of the worldviews and all the people that are trying to uh, distract or seduce Christians out of their walk with Jesus, I think it's something that we are all uh, aware of in, a, in this information age that we live in where we're constantly bombarded to give up Jesus or act to Jesus. And so this is essentially what Paul is warning us to uh, as, we, as we look at this passage. He's reminding us not to get distracted from our walk with God. So um, the, the thing that Paul is pointing to that's uh, threatening to take them captive is this word philosophy. It says captive by philosophy. Uh, the English uh, translations don't have uh, the preposition the philosophy, but in the Greek there is a preposition that says, and so it should, it should actually read, don't be taken captive by the philosophy. And so what is, the, what is the philosophy that Paul is actually referring to here? So he's not just talking about general philosophy, just the study of wisdom, uh, you know, it's not talking about the philosophy majors in the room, he's really just talking about a specific way, worldview that um, he's trying to address. So wh- what is he referring to? So uh, Shannon's made reference to this in prior uh, sermons, and we've talked about this as we looked at the early pa- parts of uh, the letter uh, of Colossians, and so it's, this, uh, it's the threat of syncretism. And so syncretism, if you are new, is a mixture of different worldviews all jumbled up together, so multiple religions, multiple philosophies, some politics, um, some uh, cultish practice, etc. all jumbled up together. It, has, it takes different uh, versions, but essentially it's a mixture of multiple worldviews that makes the original unrecognizable. It makes the original worldview unrecognizable. So if I can illustrate it this way, uh, my wife says that I'm an expert at reviving leftovers. Okay? So we've all been there, right? Uh, we've, uh, we have leftovers from the meal on Monday, leftovers from Tuesday, takeout, etc. and you open your fridge. None of it on its own sounds good, okay? But what if we could mix it up together? Right? What, what is the, it gets my creative juices flowing, and so, you know, put it, all, put, uh, put it all together, throw some spices on it, put some hot sauce, and I'm good to go, okay? <laughs> My, it grosses my wife out, but it says, she does say it tastes better than it looks, so that's a compliment, I'll take it. But, but that's syncretism, essentially. It's a little bit of pagan theology, some Greek philosophy, add a little bit of Jesus in it, and you mix it all together, and you have this recipe for false teaching, or this f- false philosophy that Paul is referring to. And so, but unlike my leftovers uh, mashup, uh, Paul is saying, stay away from it. Don't go near it. Don't be deceived by it. So this type of philosophy or worldview that Paul is referring to, is, uh, Paul says it's poisonous. It slowly kills. It infects everything else in the life of the believer and draws them away from their faith. So this is essentially what Paul is warning us about or warning the church about. Because once you walk in this uh, deceptive philosophy, this philosophy that's grounded in man, essentially, Paul says, you will find it empty and deceptive. You will you will imbibe it. You will walk in it. You will believe it. It will lead you away. That one day you will recognize you're f- far away from the Jesus that saved you. And so this is essentially what Paul is warning the uh, believers about. So the, the the specifics of the heresy that uh, that was at the Church of Colossae is called the Colossian heresy, and it's not completely clear all of the aspects of it to scholars. And so there's some debate around exactly uh, what is what makes it makes up. Um, the Colossian heresy, but there are some aspects that we do know about, just from Paul's letters and from historical uh, archaeology. And so, there's a, cu- a couple of things that I want to share that I think will be relevant to this passage. I think so, bear with me as I kind of give some historical context that's relevant to this passage. I think it will help us understand what Paul is trying to communicate here. So, um, the, the, I think the big idea, uh, the big, idea, uh, the big uh, problem that the church at Colossae was facing was it was a newer, younger church, and so, on one hand, they had Gnostic philosophy, and so Gnostic uh, philosophy essentially was uh, essentially grounded in Greek uh, Greek philosophy that had a lot of Christian influence, or vice versa. Scholars debate on that. So, essentially, uh, that's on one hand. So, Gnostic teachings with some Christianity. And on the other hand, they had Judaizers or the Jewish people that uh, were pushing kind of the ceremonial aspect of Jewish. Uh, Jewish law and mixing it with Christianity. And so those are kind of the two uh, pressure points that they're working with. So if you can think about it, um, just as a summary, the Gnostics believed, uh, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but the Gnostics believed that the spiritual world was more important than the physical world, okay? They believed that the uh, created order was corrupt. And so they believed life was all about the spiritual, not what you see on earth. So uh, you can imagine what that really leads to, right? Immediately you can see that doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter. If the physical doesn't matter, then what I do with my body, what I, how I live my life, it's not important. Because really, I'm all about the spiritual. I'm all about the the afterlife. And that's essentially what they were focused on. The Jewish uh, uh, people on the end, or the Judaizers on the other hand, were the exact opposite. They were like, no, we need to be focused on how you live your life on a daily uh, in a daily uh, manner. So, you have to observe the Sabbath. You have to be circumcised. You have to observe the festivals. So, this is the tension that the believers, the new believers there are like, okay, so who do we follow? That one says you got to do this, this, and this to be, um, to be closer to Christ or to find your identity in Christ. On the other hand, we have to do all of these ceremonial things to be uh, in Christ. And so, this is essentially what Paul is trying to address here. And so, uh, on one hand, we have these teachings on circumcision, Sabbath, and festival, which Paul will address here in the next, uh, in the, in the, in future p- parts of this letter. Uh, and most of us are familiar with them because we see it in the Old Testament. Uh, the Gnostics, on the other hand, again, like I said, were uh, very prevalent too in the church, and they believed that the spiritual was more uh, important. And so, let me just kind of unpack that idea a little bit. So, what they believed was. Um, that the created order, like I said, was inherently evil. So this is not, uh, this is not a Christian view. So we believe that when God created the a world, he created it good, uh, and then sin entered the world. The Gnostics believed as soon as creation happened, it was, you know, it, it, that was a sinful act. It was already bad. It was inherently evil at that point. And so they believed that for you to be enlightened, you have to transcend the physical world. Uh, they believed that to acquire full understanding, full uh, or perfect understanding, you have to somehow escape the physical rem, uh, realm, and until you escaped it, you were not enlightened. Uh, you would not have this special superior status that the Gnostics claimed. So that's the kind of the first idea that the Gnostics uh, uh, kind of held to. The second idea uh, flows from this, and that is that with this elaborate theology or or with this emphasis on the spiritual, they had a very elaborate theology about the spiritual world. So they believed that the spiritual world was made up of 30 realms that just popped out of God, uh, and each of the realms were ruled by these deities or angels. So there was a lot of angel worship, a lot of uh, deities, Um, so again, very spiritual, but uh, very, and very elaborate. Um, and so they believed that, again, God the Father uh, originated all of these realms, They were realms were ruled by these different angels, and Jesus was one of the deities in their realm. He was the last one, but he was one of the 30, uh, he was one that ruled the 30 realms. And so the, the Greek word that the Gnostics used to describe this, uh, this entire um, spiritual realm or this totality of the spiritual realm was called pleroma. So, Greek word for you to memorize. Pleroma, it, it was something you can use this July 4th weekend. I don't know how, but feel free to uh, use it. But, um, but essentially, that's what uh, Paul is uh, trying... T- Paul uses, uh, uses this word here. So, pleroma in English really just translates to fullness, okay? The Greek word means Uh, the totality of the spiritual realm, and in English it just translates to fullness. And so let's just, with that context in mind, let's just read Paul's warning here in verses 9 and 10. Uh, So in verse 9, Paul says, For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So my first point this morning for why, first reason, I guess, why Paul is warning us or warning the church is uh, to not be taken captive is, don't be taken captive because Jesus is pleroma. Jesus is the fullness. So if you were to insert that word here, it says, for in Christ the whole pleroma dwells bodily. And you have been pleroma which is the plural word for pleroma, in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, being a Bible nerd, I find this extremely fascinating uh, see i don't know if you catch what paul's doing here paul is essentially taking repurposing a word that the gnostics used to describe their entire uh worldview their enti- the totality of their of the divine powers that was elaborate and he says all of this it dwells in jesus the totality of the divine powers the totality of deity dwells in jesus he's not just one of the gods but the totality of it rests in him He says, don't be distracted by man-made Gnostic theology about the angels and the spiritual world because everything that is deity rests in Jesus. The fullness of deity dwells in in him. He is it. He is the Lord, the ruler of all creation. He is God incarnate. Therefore, to be taken captive, captive by another philosophy is in fact deceitful. You're being defrauded. I can just see Paul saying, oh, you wanna talk about the spiritual realm? You wanna talk about the Pleroma? Well, just look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, Jesus is enough. And Paul points to Christ as the Pleroma, or the fullness of God, because in Christ, the fullness of deity rests. And so believers who are in Christ don't need a special revelation, special knowledge, because as long as we are in Christ, We have. We also experience that uh, fullness. We don't need secret philosophy, uh, you know, um, special status for to be complete in Christ. We already have that when we have given our life to Jesus. So, because the Christians at Colossae, like I mentioned, were wondering, like, are they missing out? Are they going to get get closer to God if they didn't receive this Gnostic enlightenment? Paul's pointing out that Christ is that fullness. And it's reinforcing the fact that in Christ, the believer has everything that they need to find their identity. Everything that we need for our spiritual growth is in Christ, who we're rooted in, which we looked at that passage. Paul mentions that in 6 and 7 about them being rooted in Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that we're fully mature in Christ. It just means that everything that we need is in Christ. And as we walk, as we look to Jesus and walk this journey... We will experience growth and maturity. And Paul talks about this in the first part of chapter 1, or the uh, end of chapter 1, where he says, this is what we're laboring for, that you will be Christ-like. But everything that we need to become Christ-like is in Jesus. So the second reason, that brings us to the second reason that is connected, Paul gives us here for his warning to not be taken captive is, don't be taken captive because every believer is spiritually equipped in Christ. Don't be taken captive because you are spiritually equipped in Christ. So again, what, what reasons do Paul, does Paul give us here? So he gives us actually two reasons here that, uh, to support his claim that we, this uh, believer is equipped in Christ. First, he's, he re- makes reference to spiritual circumcision, which we'll look at in verses 11 and 12. And then he talks about the new birth. So let's look, at, let's look at the spiritual circumcision uh, component here that he, he lists out in verses 11 and 12. Let's, let's look at verse 11 and 12. He says, In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So just like Paul repurposes the Gnostic idea of Pleroma, he repurposes this idea of circumcision from the Judaizers that were pushing for circumcision, that were pushing for the law to be followed, the ceremonial law. And so the Judaizers pushed the theology of circumcision onto new believers uh, and required them to be physically circumcised, to be full participants of God's family. Now I know circumcision is not a fun topic to be talking about on Sunday morning, I know that's not why you showed up, But this is what Paul's addressing here. So, let me just spend a little bit of time on what Paul is trying to communicate here. So, Paul essentially, again, uh, takes this idea and reframes the circumcision idea or imagery to communicate that new believers that the Jews considered uncircumcised were actually already circumcised because they are in Christ, okay? And so, Paul goes on to, uh, in 9 and 10, essentially explains the mechanics of it. So, I've been thinking about this for a little bit and trying to, how do I reframe what Paul is saying here in plain English? So I'm going to give it my best shot, but I, I think it's going to fall short, but I just, I just want to kind of give you what I, how I'm thinking about this, and um, maybe you can take the long weekend to ponder over what this actually means. Start what Paul, was, what Paul is saying here. So Paul's saying, uh, when you put your faith in Jesus, you were brought into a new life, so what does that have to do with circumcision? Well, Paul lays out this idea that because the believers, because of the believer's union with Christ that they received when they put their faith in Him, the believer has been cut off or circumcised, spiritually circumcised from their sinful past. So that's the first circumcision that he refers to. Why? Why were we circumcised then? Because Christ was cut off from God, circumcised from God, because of our disobedience. And so in Christ's circumcision, we also experience circumcision, but in a positive sense. So when you decided to make this public, through baptism, you were co-buried with Christ, co-raised up with Christ, and raised into a new resurrection life that God raised you into just like He did Christ. Okay? That's the best I got. So you're just going to have to work with it. And the idea is simple. Like, you experience spiritual circumcision when you put your faith in Jesus, that's the takeaway. Uh, if you want to delve into the mechanics and get a whole, idea, a whole uh, grasp of what Paul's saying, just read verses 11 and 12 again and again, and just keep reading it, and uh, I think at some point it will make sense. <laughs> the language here is intricate to capture the beauty and depth of this experience. Paul is trying to help us understand what is happening on the cross. Um, and so that brings us to kind of that 1st subpoint that I said, you were made spiritually complete by a spiritual circumcision. What's the second subpoint that he mentions here, and that's in verses uh, 13 to 15. He says, "You are spiritually equipped through the new birth," and that's the second subpoint that I want to just look at here in verses 13 to 15. Paul lays out here. Uh, let me just read verses 13 to 15. Paul lays out here a couple of things, and so he says, "And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses." by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside and nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So what happens at the new birth? Paul says you were spiritually cut off from God prior to your conversion. This is essentially what he refers to as spiritual deadness. There was no hope for us. We were relationally separated from God and living in a life according to our fleshly desires as opposed to according to God. So when we put our faith in Him, God makes us alive and regenerates us, that's the theological term, forgiving us all our sins and cancels the record of debt that is, uh, of the law that is held over us. So uh, um, I like this last song that we just sang where uh, we talked about, kind of talked about the same idea. Uh, so in the Roman world, when a person committed a crime... Uh, they owed a debt to the Roman world. And so they would be imprisoned, and a certificate of debt would be, uh, would, listing their offense would be, a, as a price would be, uh, would be put over their door cell in, in jail. And so the price had to be paid for that person to go free. And so you kind of using the same uh, imagery or analogy, Paul says that this certificate of debt that was taken from the, over the head of the Colossian believers had been placed over the head of Christ, who paid their debt, Uh, death sin in full and this is the same thing that we experience as believers jesus once you put your faith in him takes the certificate of debt that we owed and puts it on his head and in his death our debt is paid in full amen that is this is what paul's trying to encapsulate here in these two verses of what happened at the cross jesus he paid it all he paid the full price of what the law required of us by nailing it on the cross for our sins. So, Paul says you know, Christ was not only raised from the dead, but he also destroyed the rulers that, were, uh, that, that, that existed. And so, this is what he talks about in verse 15 about disarming all of the rules and authorities. Essentially, that's a reference to kind of the angelic world. Again, probably uh, harking back to the Gnostic uh, philosophy of these angel- angelic worship jesus says uh, sorry paul says jesus has disarmed all of these rulers and he has actually put them to shame by triumphing over them and in verse 15 he uses this language um, that would have been relevant to the the colossian believers or would have been familiar to them uh, in in the in the roman world when a roman general returned from a military victory he would return to his city Uh, and have a triumphal procession. You guys have probably seen pictures of this, of these triumphal arcs uh, in Rome. And essentially what happened is the general and his army uh, uh, and everybody that's returning from the war would basically walk through these uh, arches, and they would be celebrated. The general and the army would be celebrated at the front of the procession, but at the back of the procession would be the defeated captives, the rulers of the, uh, the, the enemy army. And they would be held in chains, and they would be dragged behind the procession. And this was a way of publicly shaming the commanders of the defeated armies. And this is what Jesus is saying he did to the uh, the enemies of the spiritual world. He did this to the powers of darkness on the cross through his death and resurrection. Therefore, we can celebrate that we are part of the victory procession because Jesus has won the victory for us. Christ has won the victory for us. So Paul says, don't be taken captive by a wisdom that originates from man made ideas and man made philosophies, but continue steadfast in Christ and Christ alone. As we kind of look at the, as we kind of wrap up this morning, I just want to look at a few questions, uh, probing questions for us to think about. Um, as the band kind of makes their way up, I just wanna kind of work through some of these uh, questions that I think was in my mind that the spirit laid on my heart as I was kind of working through this sermon. Uh, first, I think the question we must ask ourselves is, where have we been taken captive? I think this is a, this is a tricky question, right? We have to self-evaluate, and this is always a tricky situation. So if we, if we, were, to ask, if we were to ask ourselves, how many of you are self-deceived? How many of you would raise your hand? Don't raise your hand, just rhetorical, right? But if, we, if I were to ask you the question, how many of you know somebody that, is, that has been self-deceived? We all would know somebody. So chances are, if everybody we know has been self-deceived, chances are you are in somebody's list too, right? And so what Paul, what, what Paul is asking, it, it, it is something that we have to to God and ask the Holy Spirit to uh, to point out to us. Maybe there's been an area that the Holy Spirit's been prompting you as you've been listening this morning. Where have you been taken captive? Don't ignore these promptings because it's easy to dismiss them. Ask the Holy Spirit to continue to point those areas out for us. I think one 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 uh, giveaway is uh, asking uh, ourselves where has Christ become irrelevant or insufficient in our life, in our walk with God. That's usually a good t- uh, uh, giveaway where uh, we, we find ourselves, Christ is not sufficient. I think going back to Shannon's prayer this morning or about the faith, the lack of faith, oftentimes it's because we believe Christ is not sufficient, or Christ is not relevant for this area of our lives. Now there's different areas that we can think about, right? whether it's our our marriages, our finances, our own life, our sexuality, our our family life, whatever it is, our our spiritual walk with God. What prevailing ideas have we imbibed? Because we live in a culture and it's hard to uh, prevent. What have we been taken captive by? And it's hard, again, like I said, to identify the waters we swim in and all the ideas that we're constantly exposed to. So, I think the only way out of it is to have these specific practices that I'm going to just give that we see that the apostles practice and the disciples throughout the the generations have practiced about uh, identifying so they could be discerning and be able to point out what are the ideas that have been infiltrating their own lives, what false ideas, what false man-made ideas have been infiltrating their own lives. So how do we stay vigilant and discerning to the falsehood around us? I mean, I don't have anything creative here, but other than start by spending time in the Word. Um, Spend time reading and meditating in the scriptures. I think it's the best antidote to not being seduced by falsehoods, by philosophies and man-made traditions. As you handle the truth regularly, when falsehoods appear, a, whether it's disguised or not, you're able to identify them quickly. we are able to s- be suspicious of them. Second, be in prayer regularly. And pray individually, pray as a couple, pray with your kids, pray as a family, as much as you can, pray because there's a war raging around us. And this is Paul t- continuously talks about this in this letter. Is, spiritual battles are a constant in the life of a believer. And if you've been a believer for any long, I don't have to, um, I don't, this is not news to you. But remember, Christ has triumphed over all his enemies. And so uh, when we go to him in prayer, we go to Christ and draw on his strength, draw on his wisdom, and draw on his victory. We are essentially participating in what he has already accomplished for us. And lastly, following Jesus along with, uh, I think one of the other big things is to do, following Jesus along with other believers, doing it in community. Again, I don't know about you, but I am able to see others faults faster than my own. Okay. And this is actually a benefit when you're in community, because others can see when you are drifting quickly or faster than you can see yourself. Sometimes the drift is so slow that it's hard to identify it quickly. But when you do it with other believers who are in the Word, in prayer, in your life, they're able to say, it. that looks different from what you've committed to. Now obviously this does require a commitment from you to be present and participating and do it for other people in our lives. Like I said, we all are uh, in this uh, journey together as we walk, as we walk with Christ. So can I ask you this morning as you kind of ponder this uh, warning from Paul about don't be taken captive, can I ask you to ponder this idea of being complete in Christ because of the work that he's done on the cross and being equipped as a believer because you have everything you need in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this uh, this morning as we kind of work through this uh, passage and meditate on this word and this warning that you have for the colossian believers that are just as apt for us first not to be deceived not to be taken captive because in you we have everything that we need our identity is in you nothing needs to be added to you you are enough jesus Help us to rest in that this morning. Help us to walk every day in our faith journey with that in mind. Help us not to look to man-made theologies or philosophies to identify what it means to walk with Christ. Your word has everything that, that we need for life and godliness, and in Christ we find that. Help us as a body of believers to continue to meditate on your word, continue to strive in prayer, continue to labor in prayer, just like Paul talks about doing it for us. Help us to do it for our fellow believers, for our children, for our families, that we will guard our lives and our families from the philosophies that are trying to infiltrate our own lives and our own faith journey. Pray for uh, the folks that have been prompted this morning, that they're able, that we as a body will be able to serve them too, that we we'll love them as they kind of work and identify these things in their own lives. Help us to be humble, to put our egos to the side and to come to you, Father, so that we may be able to root them out from our own lives. We love you, help us to live in the love you have for us and the grace that you have for us. We ask all this in Jesus name,
0: amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon and I wanna thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through his word. And if you don't know Jesus as your savior, I invite you to trust him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church, but tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage and page of the Bible.